Monday, August 15th, the day we will look back on and say this is when the tide turned for the reeling Yankees, who have not played well, Dan, as you know, since the All-Star break. Q15 for you people that love futures. I'm Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. 30 minutes on the clock. In a brief few minutes, I promise it will be brief. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will join us. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet Dan, financial data and analytics that are in fact powered by tomorrow. We're powered by a number of things, not least of which open exchange. I don't know why the market turned today, Dan, but we're going to talk about those things and what's yeah. going on. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. Listen, I'm rooting for your Yankees here. No, you're not. Okay, let's just stop it right there. All right, but I actually thought you were going to say August 15th was the day that something happened in the market Uh here. And, you know, like, listen, you know, we wake up this morning, the futures are down, what, 60 60 bips or something like that. We had that huge rip-roaring rally last week after that CPI data, which you and I were both kind of left – you know, a little quizzical here. I think that, you know, again, the data, you know, was expected to kind of be a little, I guess, cooler than, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, and we got it and the market rip was what it was. But, you know, Carter's going to go over some levels with us. I think it'll be really important to kind of get a sense of that. I I just, you know, again, it's still good that we have some of the major houses debating a little bit of the course of the direction of the rally. You and I have talked about it. There's no Fed meeting this month. The Fed says they're going to be data dependent. We do have Fed minutes this week. In the meantime, we just need, I guess, investors, strategists, economists, kind of duke it out a little bit here. Our friend Mike Wilson over at Morgan Stanley he thinks we go lower and we probably retest those June lows. JP Morgan saying the other thing, again, that is what makes a market guy, Dami, but you and I both think we're getting along in the tooth here. I do. And, you know, my dogma suggests, and I try not to be, but, you know, given the run we've had, you know, I think Mike Wilson is going to prove to be correct. Although days like today, it's it makes it more and more difficult to come to that conclusion. Again, the reversal today seemingly Once again, we're in this market where bad news and the bad news came in the form of the New York Manufacturing Index, which was in a word a disaster. And, you know, I think bad news is now good news for the market. Again, the interpretation seemingly is the fact that with this softening data, with oil going lower, we'll look at that later. All these things lead to a Fed that does not have to be as as aggressive. Now, maybe that will prove to be the case. But I got to tell you, Dan, and I think you would back me up on this. They have trotted out a number of Fed officials over the last week or so yeah. to say the exact opposite, say that, hey, wait a second, you know, although the data is softening, inflation is still a concern and we still need to combat yeah. it. So, you know, you, this is this line of demarcation. Again, we're through 4,200 seemingly a bit, but, you know, this is a 50% retracement. Again, the all-time high in the S&P, the recent low we made in early June. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, you know, you made this point, I think, a couple times over the last week or two that, you know, the stock market rally actually also helps the Fed have a little color, yes. a cover, at least about talking hawkish, right? Even if they are on the precipice of maybe like a behind the scenes sort of shift, right? Because again, it wasn't so long ago where 50 basis point hikes were the norm, then 75 basis point hikes became the norm. And then we've now pulled back from there. So again, I, I think the stock market rallying helps them a great deal. I did think some data tweeted this morning by Ryan Dietrich, I think I know Ryan. LPL. I don't know him, but he's he's a good tweeter. You should be following him. He had some data about S and P five hundred returns after there was a one month twelve and a half plus 
loop. He says, all the data looks great, except if you go back to 2002. And I remember trading that market in 2002. And I'll say this, you know, we've talked about it in a market call a little bit. That bear market that we had from the highs in 2000 to the lows in late 2002, and really, we didn't really put in a bottom until early 2003, it felt bad. Look at this chart, guy of the S&P 500. That's a really orderly decline, if you think about it. The NASDAQ looked a bit sloppier. There were definitely some crescendos. You see those lows and some massive rallies here. But if you go and you look at the, the next chart, where we kind of isolate that 2002 period, that July rally is right there in the middle, right? It's that it's the middle part of the W, if you will, there, guy. And we had a huge rally, but then we had a really sharp pullback after that, after a few months, and almost retested those prior lows. But that was ultimately it. So I guess my point is, is like that's a lot of great data, but you got to think about what else is going on here. Even if the Fed pulls back from their hyper hawkish stance, they're still going to be relatively hawkish, especially relative to 2002 and 2008 when we had those sorts of bear market rallies. And I'm glad you brought up 2002. And again, the re the area that that rectangle, which in fact, that's what it, I mean, this goes back some 20 years and you're illustrating exactly that, that during that time period, which it's seemingly that's where we're lining up towards, this is what happened. So Ryan's work is correct. 2002 being the outlier again the problem is or the i think the headline is that we seemingly are in that type of environment let's say how it plays itself out but i'm sort of with you and ryan does extraordinarily thoughtful work but you know we've reached a point now i think where we're going to have people on both sides of the fence the bottom is in we're off to the races this is a bear market rally you need to sell it we're going to take a fresh look at the lows i fall into that camp but you can totally understand why people would be on the other side of the fence. I'm curious, though, Dan, what the great Carter Braxton Worth has to think. I wonder if he's available. <laughs> Let's see. Let's give a ring over there to, to Worth charting. Oh, there he is. Worth charting Carter Braxton Worth. What's up, man? We're going to get his you know, dulcet tone I'm going to say here. it. I'm going to embarrass yeah. him. I mean, <laughs> it's Monday. It's your first. I mean, the first time you've done this, Carter. I mean, that well, little button you know, when it flashes. No, it's the hot mic. You have to always be careful, right? So it's better to be sitting in. You know, when you're at the light, right? Should you put it in park? Not always. But if you're going to start fooling around with the back seat and putting a baby or checking <laughs> your phone, if you are if you leave it in drive, you know, you know bad things can happen. So Carter. Anyway, here you know, I am. You know what? Come you on. know what? You know what Liz Young does? She just sits in the background. She's got her mic fully hot. She's just chuckling at all guys' little things there. Well, that so, works you know, too. Maybe next time. And, you know, maybe Amanda will give you a little bit of a heads up next time you're going to be coming on. But yeah. talk to us, Carter, a little bit about that. When you see data sets like Ryan pointed out, 20 years or six, excuse me, 60 years of data, when the S&P rallied 12.5% off of a low, you know, the, the sort of four returns, and you see that outlier back in 2002, you remember it, you were trading those markets there. None of these bear markets are particularly similar, but this period feels very similar to that period. So sure. give me your thoughts. I'm just curious well, what you think about that. So there are two ways to address that, right? The first is that you say, all right, it's because I'm going to make a thousand dollar bet that this continues, or I'm going to make a five. But if it was like, let's say you're going to bet your right hand on that data, <laughs> like we're sitting here with the cleaver, yeah. right? And so, do you want to play stats like that or not? A lot of people call it data mining, sort of stock traders almanac kind of stuff. And okay, it's good. Election year, mid year cycle, presidential, it's good. And then when it's not, it's like, sorry, you lost your right hand. Yeah, that meat cleaver, that's a bummer. But go get it wrapped up, and you'll be one of these. So the point is that. It's like a comfort blanket, 
right? I mean, it feels good, but it really, if you, if I said, listen, I want you to take 50 grand of your own money around and bet just because of that, most people would say, yeah, I'm not going to bet five grand on that or 500. It's nice to put it in context. And then there's this, the second way to answer it. There are people who do spend their lifetime in statistics, real statistics, right? And they say that you need something in the order of 130 inputs to have statistical significance. So looking at a sample set of X number of instances, right? 10 or 20, basically, a lot of people say it's just random. Well, as we're sitting here at 109, the S&P 500 is about to print 4,300. So it's a perfect time to bring on the charts that you brought that are going to look at the aforementioned, which I know you love, S&P 500. That's an N for you bingo players, by the way. Yes, here we go. Aforementioned. So that's a chart of the S&P. It's just a chart, right? No drawings, no judgments, no annotations, no moving averages, no arrows. Let's put some things in. So what about this? Look at this next iteration. Now, those lines, you could say they're manipulated. They're not manipulated. You're just trying to connect the, the tops on the way up and connect the tops of the highs on the way down, which is to say we know uptrends have countertrend sell-offs and downtrends. We've been in downtrends since Jan 4, have countertrend rallies. So this countertrend rally is awfully close to that trend line, downtrend line, in effect since Jan 4. Let's put some arrows in here just to annotate it and really highlight it. And then finally... We have unfilled gaps, right? The last iteration, we know that there are unfilled gaps left below, most specifically, even forgetting about the ones back a year or two ago, just from the last two, three weeks when the market's been very explosive to the upside. And so then it all gets down to this. Do we bet because we've crossed the 50% mark that it it will make a new high? I think here and now, it really depends on your timeframe. If you're a trader, it's a better sale than a buy. If you have a three-year view, you'd say, thank goodness, this strength confirms that we've come through the worst of it, that being down 35% in the NASDAQ is probably all we were going to get. And therefore, I can start to build my, not my view, I'm in the short term thinking here that you want to fade it. But listen, that's what makes a market. May I ask you a question, Carter? Melissa Lee says that from time to time. So I'm going to sort of jump in here and say, if you look, this move higher has filled gaps that we made on the way down. That makes sense. What are the chances, like statistically speaking, what's the probability that we don't fill those gaps on the downside? Okay, so in this chart, it only goes back two years. There are unfilled gaps going back to the lows of 09, right? But the point is that let's forget about the lower down gaps that you see in the chart, but just the two or three that are immediately below, left behind in the last six to eight weeks. The odds of those being filled are exceedingly high. And yeah. we, we know this because what's happened now is the VIX is very depressed, right? Very low. And the VIX pop is the kind of thing, or, or low VIX, the kind of things to set up just before a swoon. Yeah. Hey, so Carter, you know, that you made a really good point before, whether you're a trader or you're an investor on the time horizon. You know, back when the S&P was below 4,000, it was probably 3,700 or so. You were basically saying if you were a trader, it sets up good for a rally here. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, 700 S&P points on a 4,300 sort of number or a 3,700 number, you know, it still looked like a decent entry point here or there, possibly, if your time horizon 
horizon is longer, correct? Like, so I guess it's a really important point here is that going back 20 years in 2002, a lot of NASDAQ stocks, we were just looking at the S&P 500, a lot of NASDAQ stocks had already bottomed at that point in August of 2002 mm -hmm. because they were down 85% or something like that. And it was the last final pushes of the S&P 500. So I guess my question to you now, I saw a note out from where charting this morning, you were saying, I'm like in healthcare here, the XLV, the ETF that tracks it, especially relative to the S&P 500. So now does it become important to start thinking about sectors, individual names relative to the major indices? Sure, just as something gets overdone, think how love tech was just before the whole thing went. Think how loved energy was just before the whole thing went pear-shaped. And you try to go the other way when it gets extreme. So right now, when you have a move like this in the general equity markets being driven by tech and beta, you guys were talking about XME, well, what do you think lags? Defensive things like healthcare. But once those ratios get too wide in any relationship, whether it's healthcare to the S&P or tech to the S&P or oil to healthcare or energy to industrials or financials to the market. You try to, that's what pair trading is. And while it's not infallible, extreme readings when you have a pair, that's the thing, you almost invariably get mean reversion. Of that. Every time you say, I mean, I just, listen, as you know, Carter, I could listen to you read the phone book, well, but what I'll tell you is- On things mute, aren't, I could read it on mute like this. <laughs> things aren't nearly as rosy seemingly in China. And we have to talk about it because so much of the growth here is predicated on China growth, which doesn't seem to be happening. As a matter of fact, it's going the wrong way. That's going to lead us into crude oil, Dan. But you know, speak to this, Carter. How important is this, in your opinion? I know Dan has thoughts on this as well. You know, it's funny. I mean, it has implications. There's always this difference between Main Street and Wall Street, right? It has implications for the global economy and supply chain and travel or what have you, but at the end of the day, I don't know, I think idiosyncratic growth is really what yeah. one should always be after. Finding something whose operating business, a company whose prospects are so sort of good at a particular moment in time that even outside forces like a slowing of the major economy or second major economy in the world will have a limited impact. And so this gets to, for instance, Apple, right? That's mm -hmm. more of what this kind of data point is important for. But it's not, you know, so important for the S&P. I don't Well, I, you know, Guy makes a really good point is that, you know, when we were coming out of the financial crisis, it was a huge stimulus package, which you guys, if we put out the numbers right now, you'd look, think that's a rounding error. But that was the thing that got a lot of the industrial commodities going, right? The thought that China was going to lead on the way out. And it is interesting that, you know, we have a situation in Europe right now, which is obviously their economy is greater than that of the U.S., which is probably in a recession. Ours is probably not too far behind. And if you look at China, there's no leadership there from an economic standpoint. So it's just kind of interesting that you see them easing while we have been tightening. And then you see the, the I guess you would just call it the knee-jerk move in crude oil. It was down yeah. 5% today. So Carter, talk to us a little bit about the price action here because crude in the high 80s is right back. Here's my dumb chart and, and I'll just call it dumb. It looks nice. It's a beautiful fact set chart here, but you see that downtrend that we've been tracking and, and it's really been orderly, but it's coming up to that breakout level, right? From early this year above those November highs. What's your thought on crude and how it kind of feeds its way into this whole inflation narrative and what might be good for equities and what might not be good for equities? 
Right. I mean, we have, remember, just think back. Well, it's a super cycle. There's inflation, yeah. hyperinflation, commodities will never stop. It's whenever you hear talk like that in anything, right? You can't buy a piano ever again. Why? I don't know. We can't find any more key. I mean, anything that's at, at that silly, just go and take the other side. Wall Street said that crude oil is going to $200 a barrel. And here we are. I think you actually start to not only not be short, but maybe nibble here on the long side. Right, you well, brought some charts to back that up. By the way, they said that back in March when it was approaching $130. And you said it at the time that this you know cacophony of sound, everybody seemingly getting bullish at that time, didn't particularly augur well. And you were spot on. Anyway, let's take a look at your charts. Yeah, so this is crude with nothing on it. And you'll see Dan's lines at some point that are very similar to mine. But the first iteration would be this. And we've looked at this together here the three of us many times in the past, notice that we are now to the midpoint of the, you call it a megaphone, you call it a fan, it doesn't matter what you call it, but we're down 33% from the high. If you use the same time frame, you look at the next iteration, that line is the line, same line that Dan, you were drawing. So now let's put those two together, right? This is a, a major juncture down 33% at a minimum, if one has been properly short. Right, Because if one has just been long and adding and adding, that's not good technique. But if one has been short, do we reduce those shorts? Do we close out those shorts? I think that's... And then the question is, do we do the second act? Do we start to buy a little bit? That's my hunch. But let's look at some more drawings. So could we go further at support? Two ways to look at it. Can we sink further into support? Yes. But my thinking here is small longs make sense. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd say this is, you know, guy was, uh, you know, asking, you know, we were talking about that kind of push and pull between like strategists and we've seen the data about earnings, S&P earnings in particular, X, the energy space earnings would have been down 4%. I guess, you know, year over year in Q2, I guess you could look at anything, take something out and find something that helps confirm your bias one way or another. I think it's really interesting to just look at the simple lines that you've drawn, right? And the probability of the outcomes going forward, especially especially relative to the sentiment. Sentiment was off the hook earlier in the year. Now it looks like it might not, you know, I, I mean, we might overshoot a little bit from a sentiment standpoint to the downside. I think, Guy, walk me through fundamentally here, though. You think no matter what happens, it's probably decent timing that China is easing right now because that's likely to get, they're likely to see their economy come out of this zero COVID. And maybe by that time, we're further along, I guess, in our malaise and maybe Europe is too. And all all these things could kind of come together and start working again for industrial commodities. Yeah, well, that's what that was my initial read when I saw that. Okay, you know they're easing, they come out of the zero COVID that should be supportive of commodities. And again, you know, you'd, sometimes you have the information, the data set, and you'd be a hundred percent wrong in terms of what happens in the, in actuality in the markets. And that's what we're seeing right now. But to your point. You know, if China's on the other side of this, and if they're trying to stimulate growth, it should be supportive of commodities, specifically energy. And we had Halima Croft on Fast Money, I believe, Thursday. Don't at me if I'm wrong. But she's also sort of in that camp that, you know, the fundamentals are supportive of crude oil. Now, if you look at the chart, it says anything but. But I'm with Carter on this one. I think you can start to nibble, and I think it makes sense. And if you do think crude is putting in a short-term bottom, 
you know, yeah. we can look at some of the other things out there. I mean, well, the OIH what, makes sense. And I think some of the more integrated lever names make sense as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask Carter that exact question there, Guy. OIH, XLE, so you have these ETFs that track these subsectors within energy. Do you like the relative strength that they are showing because they are not making new relative lows, right, to the commodity at the moment? That's right. Well, so the interplay, right, between a commodity and an operating business that traffics in that gold versus gold miners, right, oil versus oil stocks. The message here, of course, and it, it makes sense, Okay, so it's not 130 and it's not 120, it's not 100. But $89 a barrel, big energy companies make a ton of money. And you just saw the numbers out of Aramco, right? Most profitable entity ever to exist. That's an important thing that goes into the calculus. And you see it, the energy stocks are basically signaling that. I've enjoyed this time we had together, Carter. We're going to allow you to leave. We must. I must leave you now because that's, that's I know you are busy. That's that Luca kind of Brasi. language is when they're just when they're letting you go. We're going to move in a different direction. No, the, we're, actually, gonna, we're actually false. we're actually staying in a very similar direction, but we're being respectful of your time okay. because we we, we, think we got okay. the best stuff. All right, you want all more right. of Carter's fine work? You can find it at Worth Charting dot com old-fashioned technical analysis nothing slick just charts nothing slick like his hair there right guy i mean come on i gotta come up with a i like nothing slick just charts but i gotta come up with something that rhymes i'm still working on it do we have a tag we don't have a tagline for risk reversal do we we really should because that seems like that would be something so in your wheelhouse just to repeat i never even really thought i mean when you know again that's what I'm going to work on because, you know, I'm very I'm actually very good at those things, as you know. All right. Um, well, let's, I'm let's, very, let's get very on few it. things right. I am good at. Let's hit a couple of things before we get out of here. You know, we were just talking, obviously, about crude industrial commodities. You know, one thing that that China data overnight, right, and the easing, you know, gold didn't like it. And you and I have talked no. a little bit about gold here and there. But let's let's first look at the XME, the ETF that tracks metals and mining, because, you know, again, it's had a massive move. OK, the XME, you know, some of the big names in there, some of the steel names, some of the precious metal mining companies, that sort of thing. Look at this chart, guys. This goes back to the start of 2021. And. You know, it had that massive move early this year when all commodities did, right? We had the war, the invasion of uh, Ukraine by Russia, and we saw, you know, everything kind of go parabolic like this. This thing round tripped the yeah. entire move, bounced off of 40, had this huge move above the 200 day moving average here. Thoughts here, and maybe not just as a straight kind of, I don't know, like, you know, China growth thing, but what, do, what are your thoughts about the whole space in general? So I look at this. Okay, so I'll I'll try to answer all those questions. So if we could full screen this chart, you know, I look at this and if you look at that recent high, which stands out like a sore thumb, I mean, there's a very defined downtrend when you connect that top to the medium top and then we've broken through it to the upside. So this move now back lower suggests we're going to do sort of a back and fill and take a look at that downtrend line that's been broken to the upside. The support lines which you drew are exactly that. So the fact that we held there and bounced like we did to me is very constructive. I'm still constructive in this space. In terms of gold, and Danny Moses has said this, and I agree with him, if the Fed were to pivot, and I think so much of this move higher in equities is predicated on the fact that there's this misguided belief that the Fed is going to pause, pivot, whatever you say, I think that's going to be hugely supportive, specifically of gold, but broader of commodities. And if the Fed were to lose control of this narrative, which I think it's a lesser percentage happening, but still a chance of it happening. 
I think that would be supportive of his gold as well. So I look at this and say the fundamentals line up. The chart makes sense. We broke a very distinct downtrend line to the upside. This little sell-off will take us back to that downtrend line, which we should hold. And then I think we bounce again. So that's how I would be playing yeah. this. And that, Dan, was a very succinct, cogent explanation by yeah, Swizz. It was, gee, Swizzle. Here's the thing. I'll just say this. It's kind of interesting. You mentioned our friend Danny Moses, who does our On the Tape podcast, who does show up on Market Call mm, every once time in a while. Here like also, Batgirl. Remember, like once every nine episodes, she, anyway. So. You, had, you, had a, I, you definitely had a thing for Batgirl. Uh, there's no doubt 100%. about it. 100%. Yeah. First crush, you think, or no? I mean, probably. No, I maybe. will tell you, the first crush was probably, if I had to guess, either Susan Day in oh. Partridge Family or Marsha Brady. Yeah, I was going to throw in there maybe like Marianne from Gilligan's Island. You know, a yeah. hundo, a hundo. <laughs> and you yeah. were Marianne over uh, uh, Ginger. No, no, probably. can I tell you something? Yeah. You're going to think I'm a little freaky. You know, clearly I am. But, you know, I go Mar- in, in order. It's Marianne, yeah. Mrs. Hal, Ginger. Yeah. Well, you know, knowing you now in your later years, I can see where Mrs. Howell is right. You know, that's a I mean, note, by the like, way, right Dan, not, none of these folks out there, and there are a lot of them because we get the metrics, none of them, zero, had Mrs. Howell on their bingo card. Anyway, please nope. continue. No, they, they, they did not. Yeah, I just, listen, I'm, I'm in this camp, and, I, and we started out by talking about Danny Moses. You know, this whole stagflationary environment that we appear to be in, you know, we have a 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, you know, just below 2.8%, which really kind of signifies to me that the growth that a lot of bulls, whether it be on the market or the economy or the global economy, you know, throw it all in there, I just don't really see materializing in the way that would justify, you know what I mean, like a, a, a global growth reflation trade, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to go back and remember that prior to the pandemic, U.S. GDP had been averaging about 2.2% in the prior, you know, for the prior 10 years. And, you know, I just think that, again, I think we're in a slower growth environment. And the last point I'll just make is that all of that debt that it took to get the economy where we are right now, the Fed balance sheet just south of $9 trillion. I just don't see a high growth period coming out of this guy. So, I, you know, again, I just don't see a whole heck of a lot of excitement in and around gold. Now, that being said, I know that you think that there's a good chance that we go back because of the slow growth environment that we are likely to be in, that maybe we do start easing again. And that would be the thing right. that catalyzes. And if you want to take a quick look at a gold chart, because we yeah. have it, why not? You did such a beautiful job with it. I mean, again, that looks like the last chart we saw in terms of where it held, how it bounced. We didn't get yeah. up to the moving average here. We seemingly are rolling over. We'll see how it shakes itself out. I mean, I still think, again, not to beat a dead horse here, but I still think there's a chance we go and take a look at that 200 day and we go from there. Obviously, today does not appear that way. But as I say, that's what makes markets. You know what else makes markets? Earnings. And we have them, uh, many of them this week. Big retailers. Cisco is an important company still. John Deere on Friday is going to be fascinating. But speak to me here, Dan, because you're the implied vol guy. Yeah, no, I, I actually think tomorrow before the open, I think what Walmart has to say, we have mm-hmm. a chart here really quickly. You know, Walmart pre-announced that last week of July. And if you can see that move, the stock was trading, I think, north of 130, 131, 132, traded down. It almost got, you remember that in the post-market? Because I think we were on fast money at the time. And it was trading like at 118, back at those kind of May yeah. and June lows. It didn't open that low, but man, that open on that huge gap was, 
was the low and it just ricocheted, filled in that entire gap. So here we are back at the technical resistance from the gap down back in May on its earnings and guide down. Really crucial level. But I guess you and I, you know, 4% in either direction, kind of a rounding error after the volatility that's been in place over the last few months or so. Their commentary about the consumer heading into back to school and then the holiday season, what they have to say about inventories, how quickly they've worked them off, how promotional they have to be, what are their margin impacts from higher wages, from supply chain disruptions, from energy price, all of that stuff is going to be wrapped up in the guidance that Walmart is going to tell us tomorrow. They tell us that the consumer is, you know, looking strong in the back to school. They've worked off a portion of the inventory build. The market's going to give them such a pass. And that gap you see in that chart back, you know, a few months ago when we had that downdraft might be filled on the upside. We were talking about gaps in charts. I look at this and say, you know what? And I'm not trying to play the fence here, but this is a pair of twos. Like it could go either way on this one. And I think you got to sort of sit it out. But I'll say this. If you do have a rally on the back of this, you probably want to stay with the rally. I'm more inclined to think that the guidance they give cannot be all that rosy, and it takes longer than a couple quarters to work work off what was a catastrophic inventory number a few months ago. So, you know, I still I think lower here, but again, Dan, as you said earlier, that's what makes markets. Well, you know, you say a pair of twos, guy. I mean, you and I say this all the time on market call or on the tape. I mean, one of the reasons that we're talking about markets, individual stocks, what's going on, we're trying to use a lot of different inputs to kind of, you know, come up with some sort of mosaic about how we want to express a view. And when you say not a whole heck of a lot to do right here, because you better have conviction on what they're going to have to say, I think that just the visibility is not going to be particularly great. And the conviction that they have in their own visibility is not likely to be great. But any inputs that gets us closer to saying that a lot of the issues that caused that huge downdraft are abating, that's what I'm looking for. And then you can thread that into, I think, a broader sort of narrative. The other one guy that I think is going to be really important is Home Depot. They report before the open tomorrow. I drew some really simple lines. You see it. I mean, we're back at this kind of level here where we broke down from on a big gap earlier in the spring after the stock had already been on its way down here, implied move in the options market, about four and a half percent in either direction. You see how well defined that uptrend has been in place. But here we are, you know, at technical resistance. Talk to me your thoughts on valuation, on housing, you know, mortgage rates where they are makes refinancing really hard and then plowing money back into your home or whether it's a, you know, you you trade it up and you want to do this or that or whatever. So curious to see what they have to say about the consumer also. Great. I mean, historically, Home Depot is not a cheap stock. It's gotten a lot more inexpensive in valuation with it coming down. Sometimes it doesn't happen, as you know, Dan. Sometimes stocks sell off and they actually get more expensive. In the case of Home Depot, it's sold off and it's actually gotten cheaper on valuation. So you can actually make an argument for Home Depot here in valuation. My concern is, you know, how good is the quarter going to be? And again, how good is guidance yeah. going to be under the backdrop of higher costs everywhere and seemingly a strapped consumer? By the way, consumer credit card debt in the United States is approaching, it might be on the other side of it now, $1 trillion, a level we've never seen before. So I don't think that augurs particularly well, especially for the people that say, you know, the, the U.S. consumers' balance sheets are in great shape. Yeah. I just want to mention one other thing. We talked about it last week, I believe, on Market Call. It was City, I believe, that downgraded Lowe's ahead of their earnings this yeah. week, something to keep in mind as well. 
Yeah, I guess the the last thing I'll just say on this is that, you know, for people who are really bearish on the economy, very bearish on the markets, you know, some of the data has been really conflicting. We had that July jobs print that was much stronger than expected. But then days later, we had a continuing claims number that started to tick up all of that in the face of a lot of companies, especially in technology, starting to do layoffs. So if the housing data has started to soften with mortgage rates had gone up you know, dramatically over the last few months or so. So it makes sense to think that a weakening jobs picture, a weakening you know housing market should not bode that well for the visibility of a Lowe's and a Home Depot. So again, you know the charts and the lines line up pretty well. If you're a bull and you want to play for a gap above that technical resistance, which was that breakdown level, it could get going to the upside. That being said, I think if this company misses and guides down, you are going to break that fairly steep uptrend and you might be in a situation where you are retesting those recent lows people see that little cheshire cat grin on my face and i'm sure a lot of people are saying he's going to say something and you know i take cues from you from time to time and you said in the face and of course when you said that immediately (laughs) my mind turned to the great movie coming to america the brilliant eddie murphy at madison square garden at a saint john's college basketball game seemingly on a saturday afternoon uttered that phrase in the face, Dan, just so you yeah, know. But I know you don't well, hold, hold, hold on, dude. There was also the scene with Galifianakis in The Hangover. Remember where the stun gun and the cop brings up a kid who's in there and he says, all right, you want to try this thing? He's like, come here, little guy. And the guy takes it and he shoots the, the stun gun in, in Galifianakis. You've never seen that movie? Have you never seen The Hangover? Oh, my God. You know, Brad Cooper, but I call him Brad. He is a Georgetown grad. I have seen the movie, but, you know, and now that you say it, I remember the scene. In but the face. It just shows it just shows the age gap yeah. between us. And again, if you had in the face on your bingo card, my people say muzzle tough. But that's it for today's market call. I'm Swizz. <laughs> that's Dan Nathan. I want to thank Carter Braxton Worth for joining us. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet, powered by Open Exchange. We always are. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Just the two of us like the song. See you later. See you later.